1: Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have as long as they're financial. 888 99 Charter is our number, 888 992 4278. Okay, let's go ahead and start with our first caller. Let's go to Eric in New Jersey. Hi, Eric. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? I'm good, and I thank you for the call.
2: My question today, Steve, is regarding a 457B plan that I have.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm a police officer in New Jersey, and I've been on for about 11 years. i got got quite a few more years to go before I retire, so um, I could, I guess, afford to be, to be riskier with that uh, account. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the reason I'm calling is uh, for about the last year or so, I've been uh, paying into uh, a fixed account that's getting me 3.75%. Mm -hmm. a year uh, due to all the volatility and everything with the market. And I didn't really want to be losing money. So Uh Uh it just seemed seemed like a a sound uh, idea at the time. And I'm thinking about uh, getting back in. And I was just speaking with my uh, advisor who runs the account through MetLife. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to decide kind of what I want to do with that account, whether I want to get back in the market entirely Mm -hmm. with – what I have, which is like sixty eight thousand at this point, uh twenty thousand of which is all profit, whether I want to go back in entirely or just take what I have as profit, put that back in the market, or stay in the fixed account and just take my three point seven five percent and ride out any perhaps volatility or or if we are in you know a, a bubble and the tech bubbles a i bubble that's gonna pop at some point.
1: Can I ask you, what uh, what, the, of, th- what are you invested in? I know it's a fixed income, but what kind? What, what is it? Is it bonds? Is it a money market fund? What is it? it it's like a money market, okay, uh, more or less. Yeah. Okay, so my answer would be different if you'd said anything but a money market. If you said it was some type of bond fund, short-term, mid-term, or long-term bond fund, I would suggest that don't get out of it quickly get out of it slowly because i think interest rates are peaking i think we'll have one maybe one more increase maybe maybe two but i don't think so but but then Mm -hmm. uh we'll have a long period of flat and then the next move will be down interest rates moving down and when that happens Mm -hmm. bond funds go up in value Mm -hmm. so you get your 3.7 plus capital appreciation but money market fund probably won't do that so my answer is i think you should start teasing back into the market. Um, okay. I wouldn't dump all the money in it right away. I would dollar cost average probably through the $68,000 and by maybe the end of the year, the beginning of next year, have all that $68,000 in the market. And I would diversify it in market cap, small, mid, and large cap. I would diversify it. But don't do it, don't do it all at one time, though, okay? Eric, I appreciate it.
3: Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART.
4: My name is Randy from Iowa. I'm currently in Illinois because I'm a truck driver, and that's the issue. I don't have a lot of time each day to study and dig in like I know is necessary to really understand. Your program has helped a lot, but my question is this, basically, if you were in the situation of not working in the field you do in other words if you were not a professional investment advisor and were limited on time how would you pare it down what are the very minimum basic things that you would want to study to understand before making a stock investment i know there's a lot of factors and uh, you do this professionally but if you were not in your current career you were in some other career where a lot of demands were on your time and you didn't have the kind of time to really dig in what or the minimum factors that you would want to look at and understand before investing in a, in a company. Thank you and you have a great show. Keep
1: it up. There'll be two things you need to know. First from a macro, micro, micro macro and micro. Macro you kind of have to understand the environment you're in, the interest rate environment, the economic cycle that you're in, where are we in that cycle. From, so, and I'm not go into details about that, but you kind of kind of understand what the cycle is economically and interest rates. Okay, right now we're kind of having a high cycle on interest rates, right? And we're on a we're on a downward, slowly downward cycle on economy, but not very deep so far. Okay, then from a micro point of view, you look at stocks that do well in a rising interest rates environment or a high interest rate environment and stocks who do poorly in that. And there's all there, there are charts on the internet. All you do is put economic type in search for economic and stock market cycles and you'll see that the stock market moves up prior to the economic cycle moving up from a low. And you'll see that the stock market starts to move down. When the economic cycle is high, okay? So, the high, wasn't the economic cycle high before they started raising interest rates? Yes, it was, okay? It's not even that, that, there wasn't that much damage done to it so far, even though they rose interest rate. So, from a company point of view, you have to also understand value stocks versus growth stocks, and when's a good time? Yeah, it's a bad time to buy value stocks when interest rates are very, very low. That's a time to buy growth and vice versa. Now, from an individual company point of view, you want to, uh, in this environment, buy good value stocks with not that are not too expensive with P.E. ratios. And therefore, you need to know what the average P.E. ratio for every average industry. These are basic things that you kind of have to know. And once you know them, it's not hard to know them. Once you know them, you'll be a much better investor. You also can just buy index funds, buy them, hold them, and just ignore everything else. You can do that. You've got to hold them for 10 years plus, 10 years or more. You can do that, and you'll be successful. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now.
5: When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, How do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times.
6: Just wanted to get your opinion on J.P.
7: Morgan and BAC. How do
5: you see this? uh, Looking forward I'm 25 years
8: old and have a question about retirement funds.
5: And the unbiased answers from Justin
8: Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap, because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Beasley.
1: I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson food, this is where I'd buy it.
5: You're listening to an encore presentation of
3: Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the
8: next Invest Talk. Let's go to James in New York. He wants to talk about mortgages.
6: Uh, yes, I currently have about 25 years left on my mortgage at a 2.9%. And I was wondering if I were to pay the remainder of the mortgage off now, if I had the means to do that, would that be advisable during this climate, saving 25 years worth of interest, or would I be better serviced investing that money?
8: Right now, you would want to be putting that money into something very safe. Short-term treasuries, right? You're, You're accruing interest on... Uh, the the mortgage that you have, but you'd accrue more interest in putting whatever money you would put towards that mortgage in something like short-term treasuries. You yield 5%. So you're actually risk-free, basically, earning more than you're being charged on your mortgage. So until mortgage rates go, be- or sorry, treasury rates go below that number, it would make no sense to pay down that mortgage because you're easily with no risk earning more than the cost of that mortgage. So, no, it wouldn't make sense. Now, once again, if one day the like Fed cuts rates again and we're back down to 2% short-term uh, treasuries, now you have an- another conversation. You are now costing yourself more than what you'll earn on your investments. So, at that rate, no, it doesn't make sense to, to pay off that mortgage uh, right now. Could it eventually? Sure. Depends on your risk tolerance. It's obviously a very, it's a conservative decision to pay down a mortgage, especially at a rate that low. Does that make sense?
6: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I knew I had a low mortgage. It was just a issue of uh, the security decision to pay it off, but I don't, I absolutely don't have to, but we should pay a thought, uh, but yeah,
8: And 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 I get that thought, and there's a lot of people that that security makes sense. But as long as what you're investing in is very low risk, like treasuries, then and you're making that spread, then it makes zero sense to pay off the mortgage. Uh, And a lot of people are 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 in this uh, in in this uh, bucket where they might have extra cash, and typically they might pay down that mortgage. But right now, it just doesn't make sense. You can go put your money in a high-yield savings account and treasuries and so many different assets that are yielding 4 to 5% that it's, it's just uh, pointless to be paying down a mortgage at, at this time. Uh, and a year from now, that might change. But right now, no. Thanks for the call.
3: Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART.
9: Hello, uh, this is Tori from Bozeman, Montana. I'm calling to ask about a refinance that I'm currently in the middle of. So I'm refinancing a rental property that I own. And I was wondering, because I do have a good bit of equity in that property, and I haven't quite been maximizing my, my Roth contribution every year. So would it be smart to take some of that equity out of my house actually just put it into my Roth IRA where I feel like it can make better returns and possibly beat what my home might be able to bring in terms of equity in the future. I look forward to hearing your answer. Thanks so much. Bye.
1: Well, when you refinance, it's a good question. When you refinance, how much does that cost? What is the cost of the loan when you refinance? Because it always boils down, everybody, to the best use of your money. What is the best use? And he's saying, well, maybe I have a better use of my money out of the real estate and into my Roth, okay? Because the Roth gets to grow, uh, gets to grow um, uh, tax free. Uh, But my house, when I sell it, I'm going to have to pay capital gains on the gain of that house, even though I'm, but then again, I'm earning rent every month. And how much is that? So how do you make that decision? Uh, For me, it would be if I take money out of my house, am I, am I cash positive on a monthly basis with the rental property? Because I don't like to be cash negative and then maybe be forced to sell the property down the road because I got to keep putting money into it, and I'm now stuck selling at the very worst time to sell real estate. But if you have cash flow positive, that means you're making money all the time. You put the, you could put a m- bunch of that aside and put the keep up, keep on the house, and pay the taxes and whatever else you need to ta- pay, and you're never forced to sell the property. So. I would suggest I like and maxing out your Roth a lot, so maybe do that math. Is it Because if you do invest in Roth, you can say you're, if you buy an index fund, the chances of a 9% return per year are high if you have enough years to let it run. 10, 15, 20 years. If you're close to retirement, you only have a couple three years, then maybe it's not so smart to put money in the Roth and take it out of the rental property. See, it's not that easy of a question. It's not you just go, okay, this is the answer. I wish it was. I still we need we need a lot of we gotta do some math. And it's not hard math, but we gotta do the math. So it could be a good thing. I do like maxing out your Roth. And taking out of your property may not be a bad place to do it, especially if the property is not gaining in value. Is it in an area? You're in Bozeman, Montana. Montana values have been going up if that's where your property is. By the way, I'm going fishing there for a week next, next year, somewhere in Montana. I'm looking forward to it a lot. Beautiful country out there. You're listening to Invest Talk everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888-99 chart. Beginning our experience, we're here to answer your questions.
3: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Let's go to Paul in San Francisco. Let's we'll talk
8: about the national debt.
1: Yeah, we're getting close to the, the limit of the national debt, which is over $31 trillion and Well, that have we we see that didn't that happen before some years earlier? Uh, According to my memory, it did, but it comes out wrong. And Biden just wants to spend money and print money and spend money and print money, and that causes inflation. Inflation is a tax on the middle class and the poor, but not the wealthy.
8: Well, you know, this is a situation that has been years in the making, um, right? So it's uh, definitely both sides of the aisle. They all want to spend on their uh, their pet projects. You know, this debt ceiling issue is something that I've been hearing about for, you know, pretty much my entire career, you know, over 20 years. You know, I've heard this many times. There's a lot of political brinksmanship here that is ultimately not going to amount to. uh, I I don't think it's really I think it's more headlines than anything else. You know, the decision to uh, spend money it happens when you talk about budgets, and that includes spending, but also taxing, right? Um, so, under uh, every administration, the debt's gone up, really, uh, except for I think the uh, yeah, I think the Clinton administration, the very end of the 90s, because of demographic issues and or not issues, but uh, tailwinds, shall we say, and uh, a strong uh, tech sector. You know, we had a, a surplus for a short period of time, but that was pretty much it. Um, so you can't really blame one side or the other. They're both very culpable in this. And if you are blaming one side or the other, well, you're using your politics to do that.
7: Hi, Steven, Justin. I uh, love the show. I appreciate all your advice. I have a question about timing the market. So time in the market, not timing the market, is one of the most important things when investing. And I hear you say not to chase returns. However, many of your callers ask, when is the, a good time to buy a certain stock. So, uh, In other words, buying on the dip, maybe. So my question is, how can you reconcile these two uh, seemingly conflicting ideas? If a a company has a strong business model and strong fundamentals, et cetera, et cetera, why would I wait for a dip that may or may not happen? So appreciate the show again. And my name is Forrest, and I'm from Michigan. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye-bye.
1: Well, Forrest, you actually have a very good point there. You're correct. There's, you know, What's the difference when I say, well, wait for that dip or let the dip happen or it'll probably come back down? What I'm looking at when I'm talking about those things and when Justin and I are talking about, we're looking at a chart and just looking at the past pattern of trading of that stock. We also might be looking at the fundamentals, current fundamentals of that company and saying it looks like it's going to go into a weak period in their earnings or sales, and we should get a pullback, versus trying to time the market in and out of a stock or in and out of stocks, period. You know, many people, I'm just looking for a good buy point, and some stocks, you just buy it. You know, uh, I'll give you, for instance, maybe you should just buy Apple. You know, uh, not that I'm suggesting to buy Apple, but I'm thinking, you know, some stocks you just buy and don't worry about it too much, long as you have a long-term horizon. So there, you do have a point. Uh, we're not trying to time the market, we're just looking for a good entry point or exit point based on uh, chart patterns. And chart patterns are not science, it's, it's more of an art. So it's you know if 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 you're going to talk to me about being an investor, you're just looking for a good place to get in with a good price and just hold on to it. That's best, staying in the good solid companies. But you got to buy the great fundamental companies, the fun companies that can support growth going forward and the price that the stock is currently trading at. Eight 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 ninety nine. Charters a number. I'd love to hear from you. Hello, Invest Talk.
7: Had a question about four hundred one k allocation. I work for Kroger and uh, I'm limited with the options as far as what I can contribute to. So you know, there's an S&P fund, there's a a fund where there's some small mid and large cap stocks in the U.S., a foreign fund, and then a bond fund in Kroger as an option. So those are my five options and uh, I'm 27 and I have about a 10% position in Kroger. The rest uh, spread out between the options I just listed. My question is, if, uh, if these are my options is Kroger, something that she would think would be um, good to have a 10% bigger, smaller contribution. Uh, like I said, I'm 27 and plan on staying with them for, uh, for a while. So I was just curious to see what you thought of that company and that allocation. I'm looking forward to the answer on the podcast. Thanks as always, guys. Bye
1: is a grocery com- grocery store company and they are very slow growth, not a lot of profits. No grocery company does make a lot of money and you're not going to make a big return on that. So don't uh, don't definitely don't increase it. I would probably decrease it. Um, I don't know if you get free shares or something or whatever they give you a discount. I don't know about those things. if they did then okay. But I, I don't think it's a long-term that great of a place to invest your money. You're only 27, so I'd split the money up between small, mid, and large-cap funds. Okay, uh, I would put a third, third, third if at 27 years old so I can have exposure to small-cap and mid-cap where you get most of your growth long-term. And the large-cap S&P gives you some stability. But being in the stock market is risky. But being 27, you have decades of... To keep your money invested, and therefore you will do much better spreading it out in those three sectors than just than this being uh, having Kroger. All right, you know if you buy one, like if you buy put all your money in the small cap, way way volatile. That's very volatile. You might make a lot of money, but you could also lose a amount of money, and it might be you know at the very wrong time that you can afford to lose it when you're approach, approaching retirement. So I'd spread it out. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now.
8: Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com/slash today.
3: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99 chart, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
4: Hello, this is Randy, the truck driver from Iowa. Now I'm in Illinois today. I have a question. Uh, Some time back, a year or two ago, I heard you talk about uh, dividend reinvesting and that rather than let it just let the dividends go back into the company for reinvestment, to hold it in your sweep account and therefore you could choose where you wanted it to go. I'm curious, is that still how you feel or is it better to just let it be reinvested back into the company? Uh, For example... 3M pays, uh, I forget the percentage, but it comes out to be a dollar and a half, a quarter, $6 a year. Should I just let that go back into 3M, or should I let that collect with my other dividend paying companies' amounts and then uh, selectively pick stocks to either purchase or to invest in at that time or to, uh, to build up the positions in the other stocks? You have a great show. I have learned a whole bunch, even though I still don't know hardly anything. Thank you very much and keep up the good work.
1: Well, that's a tough question, uh, only in the sense that, you know, it's easy to make the decision, but do you need more shares in 3M, for instance? You, you mentioned 3M, so let's talk about 3M. So if you have a good portion of your portfolio, and remember, we like 3 to 5%, and then if it grows more and more and more, then you would rebalance it downward, you know, cut cut some of it but if you don't have 3 to 5% then you maybe want more shares especially if the price keeps coming down i'd like I, I i i don't necessarily like to reinvest my dividends in a stock that's going down 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 i'd rather reinvest my my dividends in shares of the company of the stock going up and 3m has been falling pretty hard but 3m is also a huge blue chip company billion in size, paying a 6.1% dividend, and it can afford to pay that 6.1% dividend. And uh, even though sales have been slowly coming down in the recent four quarters, it's a tough question. Do you have enough dividend-paying stocks in your portfolio? Therefore, you maybe need to buy more of them. If you have plenty of them, then maybe you want them to reinvest in the company, so it's it's not just a straight yes or no answer. It really depends on your, you know, your portfolio and the strategy you're trying to develop. Sounds like you're trying to develop a dividend paying strategy, uh, which is nothing wrong with. That. I know Warren Buffett likes, lets the dividends reinvest many times in the company he owns. I know that, but not always. So it's up to you. Okay.
8: Let's go to Andrew in Utah and let's talk about the market.
1: I've been kind of caught on the
6: wrong side of this this tech rally. I uh-huh. uh, have the uh, the uh, inverse of the QQQ, and uh, okay. I tried to get in on a short with Tesla, and then obviously it's been going up. Just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, what the, what the play is from here. Do you think there might be a, a reversal, or you know, when the liquidity concerns after this debt ceiling kind of calms down, do you think there there's going to be a reversal on the on these tech plays, or should I just cut my losses and get out?
8: Well, I don't th- I don't think this is an environment that you want to be shorting tech, um, at least in the the short term. Now, long term, I do think many of those are overvalued, um, but with interest rates coming down, that's really what you've seen, right? And this is really the the main driver of where uh, you've seen those multiples re-expand. You saw interest rates really explode higher to the upside all of last year, and they peaked out in the fall, and coincidentally, you kind of had the broader market bottom around that time as well. And the tech stocks really take off after all of that um, tax loss selling pressure uh, abated in the, the fourth quarter. You saw that, uh, that move to the upside. So in, in a lot of ways, these are long duration assets. Uh, right, Luke? And and that means that if interest rates are trending lower, which the 10-year peaked out around 4.3, now we're at 3.6. It's got a low, as low as about 3.25. Uh, and the Fed is likely to embark, uh, be near the end of the, the rate hiking cycle. You know, it's hard to time exactly when this rally is going to peak out. And it can be supercharged when you have a narrative shift like we have with AI.
10: Yeah, and I think that something that goes along with it is people are tending to invest in tech right now because they don't see a lot of opportunities in the real economy. Yeah. I think people are seeing a lot of traditional uh, asset classes slowing down, and they're they're reaching for something, like you said, that has had this massive narrative around it. And I don't really see that narrative abating any time in the short term. Again, in the mm-hmm. long term, I think you're going to have some reversion. You see a company like NVIDIA that is trading at over 60 times its sales. Is that high? I think so. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would say that's high for any company, but... I think in the short term, what you're going to see is probably some some more fuel around this fire.
8: Yeah. And, and from a timing perspective, I think it will be when the market starts to realize that the economy is no longer slowing, it's reaccelerating. And I think that's first going to take a Fed pause because obviously hawkish monetary policy leads to a slower economy. And you've seen that. But as we talked about at the top of the show, the fact that the economic data is finally showing what the market has been pricing in for some time that, hey, the economy is now no longer growing very strong and it doesn't make sense to raise rates. In fact, the next move for the Fed, I think is likely lower. It usually takes five, there's usually a five month on average span between when the Fed pauses and when it actually goes into cutting mode. And so we could have that by the end of the year. So when exactly will that be? I think it will be probably when the Fed first makes its first rate cut. I think that's probably when you'll see uh, really that shift to uh, back to the real economy stocks. Uh, and that's uh, probably coming up sooner in my mind uh, rather than later.
5: This is Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where principals and Invest Talk hosts, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are independent financial advisors. For clients, they are fiduciaries. Steve and Justin have a duty and a commitment to always place the interests of their clients ahead of the firm. This is different from the way many other organizations operate. And one way you can realize the benefit of an association with KPP Financial is to know that KPP practices parallel investing. This means that the personal investment accounts of KPP principals participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. It's an important difference. You can learn more anytime at investtalk.com or reach out to Steve Peasley and Justin Klein by emailing or calling their Irvine, California office. The InvestTalk radio and podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call
8: with questions, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Gene. He's in North Carolina. He wants to talk about credit unions.
9: Yes, thank you for taking my call, Justin. And uh, you have Luke with you today, right? We do. That's great to hear that uh, once a week you get a Cornell man in there uh, on the podcast. It's good to have him. Uh, Getting to my question about credit unions, a general question about personal finance. You know, we have a choice in doing our banking, whether it's a a regional bank, a big, big national bank, or credit unions. And I've used a credit union as the primary source of to do all my online banking and my local banking and using debit cards and so forth. I'm wondering, do you and Luke have any opinion about using credit unions? My understanding is that some credit unions, uh, you know, I originally started using it just so that I wouldn't get dinged with little junk fees that banks sometimes give you. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of them, those junk fees went away with no minimums and so forth. In general, I, I heard that some credit unions, they kind of specialize Possibly in auto loans, or each one is kind of specialized in their own little niche of what they're good at. But oh, yeah. uh, I wonder, if yours and Luke's general opinion about credit unions.
8: Well, I, I actually, I my personal banking is with a credit union, and uh, our corporate is with uh, a large, uh, a large commercial bank. Um, so I, I kind of have both experiences. Uh, I, I see no problem using a credit union. You're right that they, some are good for certain reasons. I think in today's day and age where with FDIC insurance and, and credit union has its own uh, uh, deposit insurance, uh, it, it's really what's right for you, what your needs are for from a branch perspective and a product perspective, and you're right. Some some are good auto loans. I know mine, uh, we get very cheap. I get offers for I used to anyway, to 1% auto loans all the time. I don't know what they are now, but, um, yeah, you're you're right. Luke, do you have a comment on that? No,
10: yeah, personally, I, I used a credit union to finance my car when I bought my car. That's I think I think one of the reasons why people use credit unions in the first place was because they have less overhead, they're cheaper, they tended to offer higher savings rates, right? Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the reason why people stray away from banks now there's a lot of more availability outside of credit unions mm-hmm. for saving rates that are really high. So I think that's kind of taken a back burner. But certainly for financing purchases, I think it's a great it's a great option.
8: Yeah, yeah, like you said there's there's more alternatives now than there used to be for your, your banking, uh, right? your your, your Marcuses of the world, your Ally Bank, et cetera, that are online banks. Um, so I think there are, are some be- better alternatives. But uh, to each their own, I think they all have th- their pros and cons.
3: Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today,
8: 888-99-CHART. Well, let's grab a voice bank question that came in earlier from Germany on 888-99-CHART.
11: Hello, Stephen Jessen. This is uh, Paolo from Germany calling. Today, I have a question about portfolio management and actually uh, a question about which is the, the perfect or a good allocation, like considering the market cap. Um, right now, I'm invested like in 28% in mega cap. Forty-one percent and big cap and mid cap 15%, small cap 10%. So I was thinking and I'm trying to get more into smaller and mid caps and uh, cutting my mega caps because I think uh, there might be more growth in small mid cap names. So yeah, my question is basically how do you guys allocate considering market capitalization. Okay, I'm looking forward to hear the answer on the podcast and uh, thank you so much for all the work you guys do.
8: Bye-bye. All right, that's a it's a great question that's something that most people don't think about, right? They just buy names and they look more about the sector and not just about the size of the companies that they're investing in. Now, Right now, the better values are in those smaller cap names, uh, but they're also higher risk. You've seen that this year, right? Mega caps have outperformed those smaller caps. So, But does that mean that's going to be long term? Well, the valuations say that small caps are going to be better performers in long term. Small and mid caps tend to outperform large caps, but that's obviously not every year.
10: Yeah. You know, it's kind of a risk tolerance story, right? Because the only reason why the small and mid caps uh, tend to outperform in the long run is because you're taking on additional risk. So without knowing, you know, personally what your risk tolerance is, it's difficult to say what an adequate uh, allocation should be.
8: Yeah, it, exactly. It's it's hard to say just now and looking at those, those, uh, those, that breakdown, My natural instinct, you sound like a younger caller, would be, yeah, you probably want to trim some of those those mega cap names, especially, and and invest in some of those more mid and and small cap names. Now, of the different market cap uh, buckets, shall you say. Uh, Typically, mid caps have the best risk versus reward, right? The small caps, they tend to, some of them go bust. They're small for a reason. Um, And the mid caps have uh, still room for a lot of growth, whereas those mega caps, most of the growth is probably behind them. Um, So I would probably be coalescing around more of that, those mid-caps, right? Why do
5: listener questions make Invest Talk better?
8: Which of these would you recommend?
5: Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice.
10: When do
2: I know the right time to take profits?
5: And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction.
6: I think you have a terrific show and I've learned a whole lot.
5: So don't forget to call Invest Talk. Eight 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 ninety
6: nine chart. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is James from New York. I have a general question about analyzing a company and their debt. What kind of uh, metrics do you guys look at, or how do you analyze a company's long term and short term debt? How do you know that they have too much debt on their balance sheet, or their debt is justified? Just wanted to know if there's any kind of ways to look into this. i
1: um, looking forward to on Thank you. That's a very good question, and you know, I'm 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 starting to get impressed with the quality of questions from our audience, and I really appreciate that. So, how do you know if a company's carrying too much debt? Because it's very difficult. It's very difficult. First, first, you have to have the understanding that some companies need debt to grow. They can't grow without debt. And banks always have debt, right? They're borrowing money and lending it out, so they always have huge debt. Then you got REITs; they always have huge debt. Then you have other companies that sometimes, one of the reasons why I don't like auto companies is they always carry a lot of debt. Generally speaking, generally speaking, they carry a lot of debt. Historically, they carry a lot of debt, and I never understood why they should. They also pay high dividends. To me, that makes no sense. You're borrowing money to pay dividends? So, that goes to part of the problem. If it's a company who's growing real fast, okay, It's going to have a lot of debt because its growth makes it have to buy more inventory, build more factories, do whatever it needs to do to keep up with the growth. Okay, So you can't just say, well, it has a lot of debt. I don't want it. No. How fast is it growing? If it's an old line company, been around forever, ever, and ever, and ever, and it's carrying lots of debt, that makes no sense unless it's a bank. Okay, uh, unless they just recently bought another company and they, you know, debt borrowing money was cheaper than selling stock or, or issuing bonds. Wouldn't it be nice if I could just tell you a number, if it's more than 10% debt of their market cap or don't buy it? You know, I, it, it? There's no such thing as that. That doesn't work. So, this is not answering your question at all because it's almost virtually impossible to answer that question in a vacuum. don't, I can't tell you. I can say stuff like most companies that are mid-sized or large generally don't have a lot of debt or shouldn't have a lot of debt. Unless there was a very good reason to have the debt and you need to find out what that reason is. Now, for instance, Apple, they have billions and billions and billions of dollars and yet they borrowed money because it was an avoidance situation of taxes and to pay dividends to the, so, it, you know, it's just not, it's just not an answerable question in a vacuum. You gotta ask what company we're talking about, and then let's go look at the debt, okay? Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888 chart 888-992-4278.
3: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99Chart, 888 99Chart, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
8: Now let's go over to Boston, head over to the East Coast, and talk to Santos. He wants to talk about bond funds.
11: Yeah, thanks for taking the call. So um, I read on a, I read an article on Morningstar about that uh, bond. Bond funds are the way to go during the session uh, to diversify or like to prevent the losses. Mm-hmm. So, can I know uh, like what are the bond funds and uh, where can I buy them?
8: Well, you can, th- there are hundreds, probably thousands of different bond funds that are out there. Now, which one you buy is depending on, on what your goals are. Uh, you know, do you? Do you want long duration uh, bonds? Do you want short, mid, uh, intermediate duration bonds? Do you want to take a lot of credit risk or not? So you can't br- you can't paint bond funds with just a broad brush like that. Uh, yes, certainly bond funds tend to outperform during tough economic times. Why? Because interest rates tend to drop and bond funds tend to appreciate. But that's not always the case. If, for example, right, Luca, a high yield bond fund, that's high risk. It's kind of a quasi equity. Right. So. It depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for ultra safe, then you're going to want some something something more treasury like, right?
10: Yeah, and certainly if you're looking at where to buy bond funds, I mean a lot of a lot of funds these days, bond funds, equity funds, you can just purchase on exchange. There's a lot of bond ETFs that are managed by PIMCO or Vanguard or any of these large asset managers that are allocating to a wide array of strategies, be it treasuries, high yield, junk bonds. Um, so certainly there's there's a lot of options out there, and you can purchase them just like you would. Purchase any equity fund.
8: Yeah, and I, I, I wouldn't shy away from individual bonds, especially if you're buying treasuries. Treasuries, you can go to treasurydirect.gov.
10: There is no there's no reason to pay somebody to buy you treasury.
8: Exactly, exactly. You can go do that yourself. Uh, but bonds can fit in a portfolio in in this type of environment, but understand that not all bonds are created equal and bond funds created equal.
6: Hey, Steve or Justin. Um, I have kind of a personal financial question today. So I'm a 24-year-old teacher from Ohio, and I'm looking to go back to school to get my master's degree. It'll, in total, cost me about $25,000 over two and a half years. So I'm looking how to pay for this uh, further education, and I can only kind of find two ways to do it. I can't find ways in my own paycheck to pay for it, so I could either limit my 403B contributions or I could take out a student loan for this. I'm currently putting $500 into my 403B, as well as putting money into my state pension retirement system um, for teachers. What would you guys recommend that I do? Either take out the loan or should I just limit my contributions? Thank you, guys. I'll listen to your answer on the podcast.
1: That's a very good and difficult question, because I love the fact that you're putting money away, being 24, putting money away for retirement. I love that. I also think it's wise to further educate yourself if you can make earn more money in the future. With a master's degree, you should be able to do that. So make sure you measure the value of the master's degree. How much will it allow you to make in the future? How much more? If you're going to pay $25,000 for it, how much more will it allow you to earn? Everything being equal, and it makes sense, if it makes sense to get that master's because you'll make more money, what I would probably do, I'd probably split it down the middle. I would put, I would still contribute half of my 500, 250, and put aside the other 250 and borrow less money for the student loan. I think that's what I would do. Um... Everything being equal, I really would like to sit down and pencil in how much money, or money you're going to make with the, the master's, how long will it take to make that 25000 back and include how long it's going to take me to make up the money that I wouldn't put into my retirement account. How, how, many, how much money am I not putting in by getting the master's? You know, do the, I would be doing the, doing some hard math on that. And since you're getting the master's degrees, you're a pretty smart fellow. You could probably do that math. Good question, though. And it, I'm glad you're thinking about it, because that is, I, I don't like that, but you're 24. If you're going to take it on, now's the time to do it. But at the same time, putting money away for your retirement when you're young has much more years to grow in the future. <laughs> it's what makes it a tough question. Dennis in Oakland. How you doing, Dennis? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks, for uh the I'm
6: 65, and I'm putting some money into Roth IRA for the next two years. like 24K okay. with my wife and I. Okay. And I think I should just do it. I don't need the money. So I think I should just put it in aggressive for the next 20 years. And then when I'm 85, then there'll be a nice nest egg, additional nest egg. What do you think of that idea?
1: If you don't need the money, I think it's a great idea.
6: Yeah, I don't need the money, so.
1: See, that's the key because you're at retirement age, quote unquote retirement age. If you don't need the money and you're willing to let it ride for a number of years, all that growth that the Roth grows for all those years, there's no tax consequence. Not one nickel. Do you think the government might
6: change their mind?
1: I don't think so. Think of the hue and cry that would cause, Dennis. No way. You and I, we'd be marching on Washington, wouldn't we? No, I don't think. It would be abused.
6: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I don't think they're going to change their rules on that. I really don't. There would be such a backlash. Everybody who ever even thought about it would get voted out of office. Uh, I don't see it happening. Dennis, I appreciate the call. I really do. Thank you. Thank you.
0: InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security.